everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. I am your host, Claire Watkins, joined this week by Jason Anderson, newly of Pro Soccer Wire. So moving up in the world, Jason Anderson. (laughs) But this is actually really good timing because one of the nice things about having someone like Jason doing full-time soccer writing is that he uh, gets to cover a wide variety of games, which is really cool, meaning that I think we're actually going to start this week with the Champions League final. We've been mostly NWSL-centric ever since coming back um, this spring, but it really was the biggest game, biggest game of the weekend, and and worth talking about because I think it had some moments that specifically we in the States, I think, really enjoyed. Um, how's it going, Jason? Uh, things are good. It's a little weird. Um, that having Going from a super narrow scope to super mm-hmm. wide scope has been interesting, but it is... Um, one of my first duties that was specifically spelled out to me was this Champions League final. So, yep. uh, yeah, good. it's 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 an interesting time to get to cover what I guess kind of to spoil it, but it's kind of felt like an NWSL game a little bit. It yeah, it did. I mean, we've all been fought. Fo- we've all been following you know Champions League throughout the knockout stages. Um, Barcelona obviously having these huge blowout wins at home, though obviously the away game at Wolfsburg went a little bit odd for them. Hard to tell kind of in that moment. You're like, oh, is this just a psychological thing? They know they're essentially through a little bit of a letdown. They're going to come right back focused in for for the Champions League final. Or are you like, is this uh, a little bit of maybe mental fatigue? Is it just um, struggling to stay really locked in in some of the bigger games because they're not always you know hitting this level of competition week in week out? Um, lots of I'm sure pontificating on that to be done in in this off season as well. Um, Leon also interesting because they start out this season kind of finding their way. I think sometimes people were critical of their tactics singing, seeming a little bit simple, maybe a little bit predictable, um, but kind of it's weird. And this was maybe the larger uh, framing of this. And again, I just have to say like globally, because we're commenting on this in the States is this feeling of like, Oh, that's just, you know, Leon is always good, but are they as good as Barcelona? Are they still mm-hmm. actually competitive with, this new world best team. Um, and well, actually maybe I'll, I'll kick it over to you then Jason. So tell me a little bit, what were your, what were your perceptions of these two teams going into this game? Uh, I came in expecting ultimately for Barcelona's ability to press when they've turned the ball over to kind of make the difference. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also, you know, when you look at Leon, I, I think, they've spent years not having a major reason to have a chip on their shoulder. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the last couple of seasons, they have kind of felt like they've become kind of the team that outsiders at least were like, well, PSG is coming up on them. They're getting close. And all of a sudden the, the narrative isn't about how great Leon is. It's kind of like, well, PSG is about to challenge them. And then Barcelona's emergence over the last couple of seasons has meant that Europe, Europe wide, the narrative is not here comes Leon, the, probable Champions League winner it's like well Lyon will be around but Barcelona is the team we're talking about now and so Lyon finally had this like this thing to latch on to which is another very NWSL thing of um you're Lyon and yet you, you get to play the underdog card um right which almost never happens for good reason um so they got to be 
a little irritated uh, by this, by the, all everything for a while. And it kind of built up heading to this one. And um, that ended up, I think, playing an actual difference, not for Barcelona, who I think expected a normal Barcelona game. Right. Um, whereas Lyon came out and were like, we are going to show everyone that they should st- they should continue talking about us and not anyone else. It should go back to the way it used to be. Um, and they had a real attitude about it. Yes, I right. I think that that makes a difference. I also think, you know, talking this is talking narratives um, sure. uh, a little bit, but I think the the narrative of what is going on with, you know, Leon's roster construction. Are they getting too old? Um, you know, are they investing too much in players who have really helped them in the past? Someone like, Ega he- you know, Hagerberg, Ada Hagerberg is like, is she coming back in full fitness? What kind of version of this player are we going to see? Um, and, and I think that maybe, you know, it, it's something that I think those, I don't think that this game negates those questions, but good players can play right for 90 right. minutes. And I think we also saw that, right. We saw Amandine Henri with an amazing strike early on. Um, Hagerberg, I think was the player of the game, right? She not only just in the goal that she scored, but um, she was everywhere. She was a, a menace out there. And again, you talk about playing with a chip on your shoulder. It just felt like in very broad terms, you saw a team and you don't, you don't want to be too, um, general about it right you don't want to say oh they wanted it more or they were uh more locked in or or whatever like that because i think that there were some specific things that they did it was an understanding of the way barcelona likes to play Mm -hmm. but i think maybe when you talk about the feelings aspect it was from kickoff it was the refusal actually to play the quote-unquote normal game right? right that so kind of shook barcelona right yeah, they, they were very physical um, and not in the sort of like, well, we don't know what else to do mental, uh, uh, approach, but they were intentionally physical. Right. Um, and it wasn't, you know, it's tempting to say the Henri goal changed the game. And of course it does. There's a game state factor. But before that, the, the first five minutes before that goal, they were all play. It was all playing out like that. Um, mm-hmm. It was Leon stepping high, winning the ball by getting physical challenges in that Barcelona was like, hold on, is this this might be a foul here? And Leon just carried on as if nothing had happened. Right. Um, it was very much a we're going to go after them. We're not going to um, let them get get their normal share of possession um, where Barcelona is used to having 65 percent of the ball, if not more, most games. Um, and by most, I mean, really like 85 to 90 percent of their games all year long. They they really don't get tested very often in this kind of way they get they just get the ball um and so leon said we're, we're going to make sure that the time they have the ball is not going to be leisurely and comfortable and mm-hmm. we're going to make sure a lot of the time they don't have the ball and if they do it's not you know center backs at midfield um trying to disorganize you it's center backs inside their own defensive third under pressure having to go long um or having to sort of play a pass that is just under enough pressure where it's not as precise. Um, and so maybe the ball, maybe it's a completed pass, but you know, it's, it's getting to Alexia on her less preferred foot and she's already under pressure as well. And you start that domino effect that leads to um, a turnover or even just the ball going out of bounds. Um, you know, this is the kind of 
the thing with a high pressing team is that what you're, you're not looking for goals. If you say we're going to press until we get a goal, that's not what's going to work. What's actually going to win you the game is just the other team is suddenly, maybe they complete three passes, but they don't complete nine or 10. Um, Mm -hmm. And eventually the ball goes out of bounds or they hoof it long and it becomes a 50, 50. That's when you have succeeded. And so they just kept putting Barcelona into those situations. And eventually um, because it just so happens that they're, you know, we can tend to look at pressing teams as not particularly talented, but you can be both. Um, right. It turns out Barcelona is is pretty famously both. Um, but Lyon also, they force a turnover and turn it into a goal because, you know, they have an extravagantly talented player who, I mean, admittedly hits one of the best shots of her entire life. But right. also Sheik is capable of that. It's not a it's a thing that can happen. It's not someone where you're like, this is, this is unrealistic that you hit this shot. Like you couldn't hit this in training by yourself. If you, if you had a thousand shots, this is Amandine Henri um, winning the ball with high pressure and then turning it into a goal. So um, yeah, the, the fact that they came in tactically willing to take the risk and, and not just willing, but able to execute uh, at a really high level indicates to me, at least that maybe um, Sonia Bonpastor approached this game as we need to have a plan specific for this one-off game. And I think Barcelona approached this as this is just another game. And if we play our game, we win. Um, So let's play our game, Um, which is a reasonable approach. It's not dumb to have done that, Um, but it's a real triumph. I think for Lyon from a tactical perspective that they changed their approach. They altered the way they normally play to a certain extent and had this much of an impact because they really kind of not just led the game, but they kind of saw it out relatively comfortably I feel like yeah it seems like I mean I think you nailed it which is Lyon came in with a Barcelona specific game plan that also relied on a high level of execution Mm -hmm. um, for the whole 90 minutes and so I think that when you think about the the 1v1 defending that was necessary to pull that off um, the the ability to play physically without letting the game get out of hand Um, and then, right. Like you said, like, if you look at, if you look at the attack generated by both teams, Barcelona generated more, especially because they were, they were chasing goals in the second half of the game. But, uh, you know, Leon's excellent players, when they got those chances, you talk about maybe, uh, experience, you know, experience, whatever it is. I think there's a lot of different factors you can attribute it to, or you could just attribute it to having (laughs) Amandine Henri, Ada Hegerberg and, and Katarina Macario. And mm. that's why you build those rosters. Right. But uh, I, here's one other element. And again, you know, forgive us. We're, we're doing this in the U S but one thing that changed for Leon, like literally changed for Leon is midway through the season. They picked up Lindsay Horan mm-hmm. and, and Horan has, I think, you know, everybody's been keeping an eye on Horan's mobility Famously, she has a knee that swells up like a potato, uh, <laughs> but she was a real difference maker in this game. She, she and Henri and, and, you know, maybe attribute it to the years they spent together in Portland, attribute it just to the fact that they have the ability to play very well together easily. Um, and they had a very clear game plan. I think that that helped as well. Um, they changed the entire landscape of that midfield. And 
you know, in between the numbers, Haram was probably, she was doing a lot of the dirty work and she Mm -hmm. was also, I think, controlling tempo, her um, ability to adapt to the speed of play and control the speed of play. I was really impressed by. Uh, So that's fascinating to me because I think we talk about Lindsay Horan as a play. I think there are a lot of narratives about Lindsay Horan as a player specifically. Um, There are people who think that she should be pushing closer to goal all the time. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, there are people who clearly think she can play the lone six. I don't know if I agree with that, but you know, in, <laughs> and it's, I think with a player like that, it's that she can do all of those things at a high level. And it's just about giving her the right teammates around her to help her make those decisions based on what you need in the game. Um, so maybe I, I'll kick it over to you then, Jason. Can you evaluate what you saw from, from Lindsay Horan in, in that game? Yeah, I thought she was really, like you said, like she, she and Henri kind of dominated the game, even when they didn't have a, a lot of the ball. And, and like you said, Barcelona did end up with um, plenty of shots in the second half because of the game state. But you never, I mean, honestly, like how often was Endler worried other than that lob from midfield? Right. Um, uh, it it wasn't hard work for her in goal. And I think a lot of it came down to in central midfield where Barcelona is so used to running the game, you know, not just being the better team, but like really running the game and bossing right. the other team around. And it just didn't happen for them. Um, that turnover, um, which is, you know, I know this is, an, uh, this is a Haran question, but that turnover is Henri against Alexia. Right. Um, right. That is, that yeah. is where that, and it's, it kind of sums the whole game up. I feel like, um, when you look, if you go player by player there, you know, uh, Bon Mati didn't really have much of an influence on the game as well. Um, Alexia did score, but she didn't have a massive influence on the game. Um, and I think some of it is physicality for sure. Um, Haran has an advantage over everyone that Barcelona had in the midfield, um, a decisive advantage, I feel like, um, especially as you mentioned her mobility. I think she looked in this game fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, if she had to play in four or five days, I don't know what that would look like. Right. Um, I hope good, but we genuinely don't know if someone's knee is operating like that. You have to wonder how quickly they can bounce back. Um, but for a one-off, um, it looked like it was no problem. Um, and when you're going to play the way Leon wanted to play this game, I, I, there are very few players that I can think of that are even remotely in the league of a Lindsey Horan to plug into that role and that say, particular role. Right. right. Yeah. You know, you're going to be a number eight, you're going to be ball winning, but you're also going to be making those late runs. You're going to have plenty of touches. Um, and she really, she showed what has long been the case. I know it has been a little while since we've seen this level from her. Um, but yeah, this was, uh, this was why Lindsay Horan gets talked about as one of the best players in the world is, is she can do this where very few players can do everything at such a high level. And this, it kind of doesn't work for Leon if they don't have Henri and Horan both being able to do kind of every soccer thing at a super high level playing together, um, which is, you know, one of the reasons why Barcelona doesn't face this challenge against the other teams they faced because the other teams can't call on two players that can do that. Right. Um, that range of things all all in one game without needing a, another player to support them. And so you can get away with playing 4-2-3-1 instead of saying like, well, we're going to have to play a six behind Henri and Haran, so now we can't play wingers. We have to give up on that. We're going to have to play two up front instead. 
um, or something like that. You can't get away with that, uh, or, or you can get away with that if your players are Henri and Haran. Um, and so, yeah, they, they were, I, I really think the keys to the game as much as um, I was, you know, super impressed with Hagerberg. Um, I think Macario did very well. Um, Soma Bacho was, was spectacular at yeah. left back, but I really think the game doesn't happen if it's not for Haran and Henri playing, you know, a 10 out of 10. Yeah. So maybe flipping one more Barcelona question, perhaps. And and this is actually a larger philosophical question, because I don't actually know the answer to this, especially when you look at a final. Um, it was clear in retrospect, hindsight is fully 2020 here, that uh, Hermoso instead of Oshuala was probably not the way to start this game. Right. Mm. Barcelona really started to get a little bit more space when when Oshuala came on. Again, you talk it's broad terms, but you talk about like quote unquote, European style versus NWSL style, two different, very mm-hmm. different types of players, right? Um, is it possible to foresee that? Or is that just one where you're like, we didn't know this game was going to be played out this way. We made the adjustment once we realized how it was going. And unfortunately, it was just too late. They had scored three goals on us. I think to some extent it is foreseeable. Um, if you're, if I'm, if I'm Barcelona, I'm like, we're going to play our way. Um, so now I'm game planning on what what are they going to do to stop us, um, which is probably something they do all the time because they play their way all the time. And the other team usually gr- granted, they almost always drop off. The whole thing is drop off. Um, but if I'm suspecting that Leon wants to press and I feel like that was a not an unreasonable thing to sort of wonder about um, a better way to deal with that press would have been some early balls in behind um, stretch the game vertically. Um, and Oshawala can do that more than Hermoso can. It's just, um, that's a facet of her game. She's better at. Um, so yes, just being able to get, and you don't have, I'm not saying like Barcelona should have just started kicking it long and chasing it. Um, but having that element, just a, a handful of times, even two or three in the early stages, just to give Leon something to be afraid of, even if it doesn't work, if they're just like, Ooh, that almost went bad. Like maybe we need to reconsider how high our line is. Um, if you can get, Leon in those early stages to, to, you know, maybe Bompastor comes up off the bench and is like, we need to drop this line five yards, this line of contention. It may have changed the game. Um, I can see why they decided to go the way they did. Um, Again, being a like, let's just be Barcelona. Um, And I'm, I'm, I feel like, and this is a feels thing again, but I do feel like maybe they view what they look like with Hermoso as quote unquote, more Barcelona um, than they do with Oshawala. But, you know, I, I feel like in this game, it was probably something they should have had. I, I think they should have considered this earlier than they did. Um, and yeah, like you said, the damage was done and they could have, they can, I don't know if it changes the first goal, but maybe it changes what happens after that. Um, by just having that threat to, to drag uh, Leon back and for Leon center backs to be like, Oh, I don't know. Um, maybe, maybe we don't need to press every single time because I'm a little worried that they're just going to go long and we're going to be screwed. Um, they didn't have to worry about it, um, because it was a look to combine. It was always a look to check off and combine, um, which is lovely to watch. Um, there's a reason why everyone enjoys watching Barcelona, but sometimes you do need to stretch the game and they weren't really that, you know, it's not that they have, you know, Graham Hansen is pretty fast too. They had options to stretch the game. But they just they didn't seem to be looking for it. They they thought they could play through it. I think yeah, they were right. convinced down to their core that 
we can solve this problem without having to play in behind. We don't have to do it if we don't want to. Yeah. Um, yeah, agreed. And I think um, obviously it's live and learn, right? You, mm-hmm. you, you learn from games like this. I mean, they talked about after you want to get into more games like this, you want to play as high level of competition as you possibly can so that you are forced to problem solve. Um, and that's not something that, but I mean, we've also seen right in last year's champions league final sometime or in many games this season, there's not always going to be games where Barcelona have to problem solve to the extent that they did in this one. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, that goes back to that idea of yes, Leon had really sound tactics, but they also had the team to do it. And mm-hmm. that team actually did it probably to some of the best of their ability on that day. Um, and that's how you win titles, right? Um, last question again, focused on the American side of this Katarina Macario. Um, obviously gets the goal. Uh, I think the, the kudos on the goal you have to say is being in the right position and not being offside, um, Mm -hmm. following the shot, really nice tap in. It was a, you know, beautiful tap in, but I think also, and maybe I want to, I want to turn this into a larger point, um, which maybe is a good seg over into NWSL stuff for this week is, um, Macario also, I, I believe, I, I think I saw this on the, uh, the zone, uh, <laughs> halftime and full-time stats is, mm-hmm. uh, she was, she led the team in distance covered. Mm-hmm. So she's playing behind Hagerberg, um, as kind of that, that false nine, right. That sort of playmaking false nine. And she, has this just immense amount of defensive hustle in addition to all the other things that she brings to the team going forward. And so I want to maybe wrap this into, obviously we talked about, I don't think we, we didn't talk about it on the podcast. I can't remember if this was midweek or a lot. There's been a lot of games this week, but the, the moment with the, with the Washington spirit, when Trinity Rodman and Ashley Sanchez were like gunning down the field when they had that goal called offside. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like, or maybe this is, I don't know if it is, but it should be, and we're seeing positive signs, that when you want to kind of put an identity together for like the modern American player, full team defensive hustle from advanced positions seems to be something that a lot of these young players are taking on for their clubs. And mm-hmm. that's exciting, right? Yeah, uh, it, it certainly, it matches up with... um you know, to some extent, American players are too much hustle and not enough of the other side. Sure. But the ones that have the other side right. um, are still it, willing it, to do the hustle. Yeah. Right, yeah. right. It's baked into everyone. And so the ones that come off um, that come out of their development phase with that already, you know, they, they don't have to be taught to do that. They don't have to be coaxed into doing that or convinced it's important. Mm-hmm. It's already there. Um, and so when Macario goes to France, I remember when, when she was signed over there, it was like, well, she'll, she'll be with Leon and that's good. But people were skeptical about how much she was going to play. Whereas I, I was like, no, she's going to walk into the starting lineup. They have right. no idea what they've gotten into with her. Right. Um, and it's because of this side, um, because a lot of their players have that level of technique and, and right. uh, vision and craftiness. Um, but they can't do what she had to do in this game, which is, uh, a ton of grunt work yeah. um, because that, that role playing underneath uh, Hagerberg, if I were, if I were a coach, I would be very much telling her like today, you're a midfielder, right? Um, you're a midfielder. You're not part of the front line because you have to be around Patry so much mm-hmm. um, because that is how we're going to make sure that they're uncomfortable building out. Um, when we press, there are going to be other players taking risks. You need to still be in this zone uh, centrally because that's where their midfielders are going to be. We need you to be able, close to them 
to be able to provide the right press at the right time. Mm-hmm. Um, so our, you know, Hagerberg and our wingers are maybe going to be flying around a lot, but you need to stay connected um, with Henri and, and Haran. Um, and I think she did a tremendous job. I mean, the goal, I, I love the idea of a beautiful tap-in yep. uh, because I, I am always convinced that any team that's scoring tap-ins is going to have success. Yes, um, if, right. you're, if you're all bangers, you're probably not going to win a league that year. But if you're scoring a ton of just like someone has the ball hit their shin from two yards out and trickle over the goal line. Right. If you're doing that regularly, you've probably won a whole lot of games. And that is exactly the goal here. Um, so you know, I, I think Macario, um, you know, this is why I think the U.S. can play her as a false nine because of the work rate. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't have to play her as a midfielder and then play one further ahead because they can get both the out of side. her. Yeah, right. they can get yeah. both out of her, which is, you know, kind of a tribute to the U.S. pool that that's not the only player like we just talked about how Haran can do all this stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, Sam Mewis, uh, when she's healthy, can do all this stuff. Um, Sophia Smith, Midge Purse, they all are able to deliver all these things um, to such an extent that it makes it really, it, it is like adding an extra player. It's a mm-hmm. bonus player that you don't have um, otherwise. And yeah, like philosophically, that is kind of the model U.S. player is sort of a um, kind of a do it all. Um, mm-hmm. And also more, maybe more importantly, willing to try and do it all. Right. Um, and, and usually able to pull it off. Like it's very rare for you to look at a U.S. player and say, like, like the top level players, the top attackers and say, they're trying to do too much. Right. Um, because usually they are doing too much, but it's the team saying it is like that player is doing too much. I can't deal with this. Right. Um, it's not in a bad way for you. It's in a bad way for your opponent. So um, yeah, it, it was not a glamorous performance. I know she got on the score sheet, but it's like the least glamorous goal possible. Right. Um, but it was essential um, right. as, as much as, you know, I said, you know, we both said that, Haran and Henri kind of controlled the game. It doesn't work if Macario isn't part of that trio and doing a ton. It just, she had to do a lot of things that were not super noticeable um, or super exciting. It's not highlight real stuff. Um, but the fact that she's able to do it without, it's not like, oh, I'm going to have to make this big adjustment. It's like, yeah, that's fine. Um, I, I get it. We're trying to win. Um, that is maybe the classic uh, U.S. mindset adapted to the modern game. Um, and we're, yeah. we've, it's a, a bunch of players now in the player pool that can do that too. Yeah. And they're young. That's the other thing yeah. too. Katarina Macario is 22 years old, right? Yeah. Trinity Robin just turned 20. Uh, you know, we've got, an, it's, it's good. It's really good. <laughs> what, yeah, what that, the, the old, the old players in that group are like 26 and 27. Right. Exactly. Um, it's, it's pretty wild to, to see that it's, not right. just Andy, one or Andy two. Sullivan is, is an elderly, what, almost 26. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I believe 26. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's a, a really silly situation uh, to find yourself in to, to have this many of this model of player that are just different enough where you can say, okay, this one's going to play wide. Right. And this one's maybe my eight instead of a nine. Right. Um, and they're all kind of similar um, as well. So they all understand each other almost like instinctively. It's, it's pretty, it, it, Vladko's in a good spot, I guess yeah. is what I would say. When he has to pick a team, it's not bad right now. 
for sure. <laughs> yeah, this took a little bit of a tangent, but hey, I mean, that was kind of the emotion back at home watching this game is that we mm-hmm. had two more U.S. Women's National Team players become Champions League winners and become hu- were huge contributors to that victory. And so that's really exciting to see from here. Uh, great. So I think we'll turn things stateside in segment two, talk a little bit about NWSL. We're probably not going to hit on everything because, as I said, there were a hundred games this week, but we're going to talk about the stuff we saw that we liked. Uh, so stick around for part two. All right, welcome back to part two of this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. I'm your host, Claire Watkins, joined this week by Jason Anderson. Uh, Please rate and review this podcast. Give us five stars. Give us a nice rating and review. It helps people find us, which is awesome. We're here to bring the best independent women's soccer coverage in the United States. So turning stateside, um, I will say this, you know, I, I complained last week about, uh, not feeling like we were getting a ton of really good games in the NWSL so far, kind of in this really truncated schedule between challenge cup and regular season. Um, but it felt to me like this week, we certainly still, we just absolutely still seeing the ripple effects of that scheduling, but, we're starting to see some individual performances really rise to the top. We're starting to see some more interesting tactical approaches. It feels like we're starting to finally get into the part of a regular season. That's really interesting for soccer nerds, which is these teams are starting to figure them, you know, each other out. Um, You know, uh, they're having as many players available as possible. And, and we're starting just to sort of mix and match a little bit. And so I think, we have to look at obviously San Diego had another really good weekend. Um, Angel city, I think had another really strong performance against Kansas city. Uh, the dash uh, defeat Portland at home two to nothing with some very specific. And I thought like intriguing and interesting tactics. In addition to again, one like brilliant individual strike from Sophie Schmidt. Um, we saw Chicago kind of get to take over that game against Orlando Um, so maybe, maybe this week I will, I'm, we, between the two of us have probably not enough of, uh, a unified viewing base from this week to talk too much, get in the weeds too much about any particular game, but let's maybe talk some individual performances, right? Alex Morgan is playing incredibly well. Kristen press had a little bit of a slow start to the year, which is understandable maybe with how much time she took off, but Every passing game, it feels like she's doing a better job influencing the flow of the game. Um, Mal Pugh, 45 minutes, just completely takes over that game in Orlando. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm trying to think of, of, of who else. Like, again, you talk about someone like Sophie Schmidt having a really incredible game against Portland. Uh, when they had to rotate Sophia Smith out, they didn't have her available for the whole game. It, It seems like maybe when, when legs are tired, you start to see, those players that can slow a game down mm. really kind of take over. Is that, does that vibe with sort of what you saw this week? Do you think? Uh, yeah, it comes to mind, especially with, with press, um, you know, going back a week to the game against the spirit, mm-hmm. um, which I saw in person. Um, and there's a, a connective, you know, a through line here between that game and the Kansas city game, which is that angel city is pouring a ton of effort into these games. These are both effort wins rather yeah, than style right. wins or, or anything like that. Like they're committed to 
uh, uh, battling game plan uh, right now, which is is important for them. Um, but ultimately, both of these games were pretty even and got turned by Kristen Press did something that Kristen Press can do and not a lot of other people can do. Right. Um, and the Kansas City goal is actually it's an effort goal. Um, I love <laughs> she, she the influenced game. it. Yeah, right. Right, yeah. right. Um, and it's, you know, a touch that seemed to be getting away from her and she just sprinted as hard as she possibly could um, to, after a, a lost cause and kept it in. I, I initially really thought it went out. Um, mm-hmm. And I think the replays were, I, I think it, if, if NWSL had VAR, it probably would have at least gotten a check. Right. Um, because it was, if it wasn't out, it was very close. It was at but, least, it was at least halfway over the line. Right. Say. It, yeah. it was, it was as close as can be, but yes. you know, full credit to her for looking at that, that play in the 70th minute uh, of a, a game against a hardworking team that was also battling really hard. Uh, lots of fouls pretty notoriously called. I didn't actually think it was an overly physical game. It just seemed like it was being called extremely tight. Yeah. Um, but it's the kind of play where a lot of players would have been like, I don't need to make one more sprint after this ball. Right. Um, it's going out. And Press said, I got one more in me. Yeah. Um, and it turns into a goal. Um, so this is two ta- two games in a row where these could have been 0-0 draws for Angel City, and it wouldn't have been the end of the world. Right. Um, coming, coming to Audi Field and getting a draw would have been very good for them. Um, but the fact that she, in both of these games, turned, you know, did something that few people can do to win the game is kind of going to be her role with the way that they're um, constructed. I feel like she, she has to turn in match winning plays on a regular basis. Um, And right now, at least, I I don't know how long it's going to keep happening, but right now it's, it's, it's working. Right. Yeah. It's, it's difficult to keep playing that game with Mm -hmm. margins that thin. It's something that, it, it actually doesn't mean over the course of the season you can't maintain something like this, but it does mean that you might have a couple that really go the wrong way. And right. maybe emotionally that feels like a letdown because you can't control the game the way that you would like to. Um, mm-hmm. Or like you can't, maybe the best way to put it is Angel City is doing so, so, so well, but they are, are yet to, and nor do I have the expectation that they should be able to at this point in their history, make it easy for themselves, I guess is maybe right. the way to it's put very it. very difficult. Yeah, it's very, exactly. very difficult to do, especially when they don't they don't make a lot of subs. Right. Um, yeah. Freya's not big on rotating or using her bench. And at a certain point, that will, I think, come back to haunt them. Right. Um, but for, for the time being, it gives them, you know, they've got three wins out of four games all of yeah. a sudden. Right. Um, that's a big deal for a brand new team. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think also when we're looking at one of the narratives last weekend, and I think that it's continued into this weekend, but maybe in even more nuanced shades is we really do have to sort of throw away uh, the challenge cup now, because I think we're at the point where I even have to remind myself, I was, I was kind of laughing because the comms on the broadcast have the regular season stats as well. They Mm -hmm. should. And so they'll say things like that was the first goal San Diego gave up or like, you know, the un the unbeaten streak or blah, blah, blah. blah. And you have to remind yourself that there is a big difference between the challenge cup and the regular season. And it's 100% true that San Diego had, uh, you know, a, a streak without goals conceded in the regular season. You just have to block out goal, <laughs> the, the stuff beforehand. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe it's, it's getting rid of those challenge cup based biases, not just for the California teams, but Houston, mm-hmm. Louisville, uh, a, a number of teams, you know, Orlando, they had a rough one this weekend, but, um, you know, they had that good win over North Carolina in the midweek and, I think it's hard for the human brain to do that, to kind of be like, well, I am forgetting the thing that I saw. Um, but I think, I, I think 
Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, I, I think it's difficult because for eight teams, we can do that. Right. Um, the four teams that continued to play the Challenge Cup yes. even after it was over, right. I think, are unfortunately just carrying it around still. Right. Um, and, and I think it's coming with a lot of these teams. Um, Angel City, San Diego, uh, they look like they've had more t- and, and Louisville for, as well. They look like they've had more time to just train and right. improve on the stuff without having to play a game. Whereas the teams that went to the knockout stage, it's just, here comes another game. Here comes another game. Um, That's certainly, certainly the case for poor North Carolina, right? mm -hmm. They are really struggling right now. And it's tough because maybe it's good news that we got to see their challenge cup performance because we know what they want to and can do Mm -hmm. to at least have a breadth of understanding of like why that's not happening right now. But I can only imagine being the team themselves and the, and, and again, knowing what they can do to have success and just not being able to do it. Um, I put a COVID outbreak on top of their challenge cup schedule. And that is rough, man. Yeah. Um, obviously the spirit didn't, who was it that said after the spirit game that they don't want to play the rain ever again? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was Cam- Cameron Bogolsky is just yeah. like, I, I am not even going to lie. Like I don't want to <laughs> see them again. Yeah. Um, and I know, I know from, uh, tweeting the quote out that a bunch of rain fans were like, yeah, yeah. No kidding. Uh, yeah, right. Exactly yeah. No, I think it's mutual. I really do. Yeah, everyone yeah. is like, it's nice playing you again. And I hope we don't see each other for at least five months. Yes, um, exactly. Because, you know, it, it's it's bizarre. Um, there is an element of we're still in a bizarre phase for NWSO, which I guess is technically normal. It's right. normal when things are weird in this league. But this is a new a new animal. Uh, this situation that, you know, you watch a team where North Carolina is a perfect example. We know what they can do. Yeah. Um, and we know why they can't do it. And it's because we watch them do what they can do so many times in a row that early. And now right. they're like, I, I just, I need to sleep. I need right. to have a couple of days to myself. Right. No, I mean, I think we, we, we talk a lot about the physical m- fatigue, but I can't imagine the mental fatigue either of mm-hmm. just, uh, having to execute that kind of a game plan every four to five days, um, the, the weird toll it takes, like, yeah, you talk about the rain and the spirit. I think that I would start truly just being like, I don't know how to play this team again. I don't right. <laughs> like, what are we doing? You know? Um, I, I think that it does. It's, it's a lot of challenges against the games themselves being, the best version of themselves though. Obviously again, it's been very competitive and I know Jason, we've talked about this um, off mic before, which is, and and I said, I think I kind of said this to, to Andre last week, which is just, I think that we're seeing some of the best constructed teams be weighed down by their challenge cup performances. Mm -hmm. um, Which means that the league is incredibly competitive, right? No one is great yet yes and and the worry is that they will never get the chance to be great um and so i mean jason i know for you very high on the spirit right um is it tough to well it's like good and bad right because because you don't you do want teams like houston to be able to execute a really again a really savvy game plan against portland kind of forcing them to mm-hmm. to play a little bit more giving them the ball um making them have to play make and them not really being able to do that you want louisville to be able to develop some of those young players that they've got and those you know on the wings and and in their midfield to to turn into something that's really exciting you want that 
but you also want to let the teams that have been constructed over a number of years truly be great. Right. Mm -hmm. So how do you balance that? Can you fix it, Jason, right now? (laughs) Um, I I will say I, I, for those teams, I have optimism in the back half of the season. Yeah. Um, when they've had some time at training, um, when they get some of the players, uh, you know, after this uh, game against uh, the rain, Andy Sullivan mentioned that because this is her first appearance in quite a while. And she said one of the problems has been that because the spirit don't have time to train, she hasn't had time to build very much up in 11 right. v 11 or whatever, because the rest of the team has to take off for, you know, to prevent overuse injuries. Um, they're either traveling or, tra- you know, having a day that is off because they need it, not because the coaches are being nice it's because people can't run anymore right um and so it's having that added effect for you know if you're a player who misses a couple games with a knock you can't get up to speed the normal way and so you get kind of thrown into it she said this was her first 11 v 11 um in weeks because she just had to sort of jump in there um all of these things are really uh adding up and they're you know for those teams it's going to keep it's going to be like this for a little while yeah um but once the schedule evens out um, once this sort of compressed pre uh, world cup qualifying tournament schedule, which is packed with games. Once we get past that phase of the year, the schedule sort of stretches out at that point and becomes a more regular, you play on Saturday or Sunday, and then you have a week. Um, And I think that's when those teams are all going to start to coalesce. Um, So for them right now, it really is kind of, um, I hate to port over some uh, very hard won MLS knowledge that I have from covering that league for years and years, but that's a league that also did this kind of thing to mm-hmm. its high end teams. It burdened them with extra games without really any workaround. And a lot of those teams would just try and keep, keep their heads of, above water until mid season. And then once the schedule kind of gave them some time to work on things, they would cut and people are like, Oh, they've caught fire at the end. And it's like, well, no, they've just, they have some, some air in their lungs and they, they don't feel like they're about to keel over every day. Um, that's yeah. the thing. I mean, it's also, I mean, it's one of those things too, where to go back to the collective bargaining agreement, uh, one of the things that the players association put in there was they wanted a mandatory week off <laughs> in the mm-hmm. middle of the season, specifically in the middle of the season. Yes. And you have to think that these are players knowing what's best for them in, in that right. moment. And just being like, listen, you can schedule all you want, but we get one week and trust us. Everyone will be better off for that. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know, the, 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 everything's going to improve. Players yeah. are going to be not so jaded um, and exhausted, um, you know, mentally exhausted as much as physically. Right. Um, yeah. That was a, uh, that was, that was veteran know-how coming yeah. into the CBA <laughs> negotiations. Yeah. 100%. Um, so I'll just kick it over. Just a general, general question. Um, are there any maybe talking surprises of, of sort of the breadth of things? Cause we've been talking more general topics and we're talking people at the top. Um, so you can open end this, you can be a good thing. It can be a bad thing. Is there something that pops up to mind that has surprised you so far, maybe specifically from the beginning of the regular season to mm-hmm. now across the NWSL landscape? Uh, I have to say, I'm surprised that San Diego has, um, not just had the success, but the coherence of how they're playing. Mm-hmm. Um, given that it's an expansion team with a coach that's never coached in the NWSL before mm-hmm. this weekend, um, 
you know, Casey Stoney was getting, she had to test negative to get out to North Carolina at right. all. Um, and she said post game that they, they came up with their formation change two days before mm-hmm. that game. It wasn't something that they had trained before. Um, uh, our, our colleague, Alicia Rodriguez asked about the game. He's like, is this something you worked on in preseason and had sort of bedded in and was just waiting to pull out, uh, when you needed it. And it was like, no, we, we, adjusted to this a couple of days ago mm-hmm. um that is that is really rare and unusual and difficult um that is a big thing to ask of a team um and that's even if you're a, a team that's super familiar and this is a team that's only had a couple of months together um so yeah it's i think it's remarkable what they've been able to do i know midweek um they had the loss to uh louisville which is not great you know right. for them but it's also kind of understandable to have a midweek loss like that's a welcome to nwsl moment well and it's sure. also pretty impressive i think to bookend a midweek loss with two wins i think yes. that's also a, a pretty that's a good that's a healthy sign that's a sign of health yeah. in your organization to, i think to to not like not take that one bad loss and turn it into a thing that that comes up and not to carry it into the next game right um so yeah they've they've been figuring out different ways to do things this game against north carolina it was a formation change um, they're, they're resourceful. They don't have to be, um, the same kind of team every week. And I, I think last year's spirit showed, um, very much that if you're resourceful every week and you can come up with a new way to approach a game, not from a tactical perspective, but from a, like, you know, the thing we normally like to do isn't really working right now in the middle of this game. Um, you know, how can we as a group on the field solve the problem in a new way? Um, it, it does kind of, it is kind of funny that San Diego's end point seems to always end up being an Alex Morgan goal yeah. um, and, or a penalty kick that leads to an Alex Morgan goal, but um, they are finding it in different ways over and over again, which is really, um, it really bodes well for them. Um, it makes it look like this isn't just a fast start while the other, you know, four of the teams are not at their best um, and, you know, just riding some expansion team momentum. It looks more like a team that can, um, I don't know if they're going to win four out of five for the entire season over and over again. Um, but are they going to stay in the playoff picture? I think so um, because they've, they've now banked some points when things are chaotic um, and they've shown that they can figure out ways to get, get results uh, in a league that is very unkind to teams that are not super familiar or people that are not super familiar. Um, they have dealt with that in a way that we don't usually see. Yeah, I think I mean, yes, I think that like uh, maybe the good the the way to sum that up is we've seen teams struggle with what feels like an institutional, maybe like naivete, perhaps Mm -hmm. Um, San Diego has not shown one bit of that um, throughout this this whole first part of the season. Um, Maybe on the other end, and and we really really will wrap this up in a second, but uh, Gotham. So North Carolina, we understand probably what's happening with them. Mm-hmm. Gotham, I think maybe the concerning thing is the lack of coherent answers, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's very hard to tell if they internally kind of know what's going wrong. It, it's hard when you have have performances that cause, I mean, concerns may be too strong of a word, but sort of a nebulous ability to even analyze what exactly is going on there. And then you ask coaches about it and the coaches have two things. They have the thing that they think, and then they have the thing that they tell media. And then it's hard to tell from the outside how much control they feel they have over the situation. Um, The season is, is young. 
but those are problems that are harder to solve, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, when I when I look at Gotham on a week to week basis, I think um, ultimately as they've been running into problems in the back, and I don't know that there's a solution that works for them. Um, if they were to sit back and defend deep, then I think their lack of um, tall, overpowering defenders that can just fend off crosses becomes a problem. If they want to be super front foot and play wide open and say, okay, fine, we've got Purse and Onomonu and, and Mewis, we'll just have a shootout with you. Um, I think they don't quite have as many players that are going to bail them out. Um, in, ga- in games like that, you get, need to get bailed out. They don't have that on their roster either. They don't seem to be able to control a game with possession. Um, they don't seem to be able to control a game from a like keep our shape, stay compact, right, and ball, just and frustrate you. Right? Yeah, that they, they they just don't seem to have a place to go. Um, no matter how you you know that I know that uh, Parkinson has been changing lineup. You know he he brought Kumi Yokoyama in as a starter this weekend, trying to to find some mix that works, and none of it's really getting there um the adjustments are you can see the adjustments trying to be made but it doesn't end in a better final product it's different paths ending in the same place right um and and i i so far like i i puzzled over their roster and i'm still like i just i don't know what right what you do there's no right there's no obvious there's no obvious style of play Mm -hmm. that doesn't have serious weaknesses with the roster as constructed um yeah yeah, it, 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 <laughs> I don't really it, have much else to say about it. Like, yep, that's that's it. It, it yeah. becomes, you know, yeah. I, we talked about this um, uh, away from microphones, but uh, it becomes kind of like, can, you know, Christy Mewis hit the crossbar twice in 30 seconds if one of those goes in, goes in um, right. yeah. that j- game changes. Um, if you on several times kind of went it alone and, yeah. and made things happen, it just didn't amount to a goal for them. Um, but it is kind of like to go back to Angel City and Kristen Press for a second. Maybe they do need their their elite players to sort of just put the team on their back for a little while and, and get them some positivity, and then they can start to build from that. Right. Um, but I don't think it's going to go. It's not going to go the other way around. Um, if Gotham's yeah. going to figure things out, it's going to be one of their you know potential best eleven players saying like, "Okay, I'm going to drag this thing for a little while, and you guys." you know, uh, give me a month. And then while, while I'm doing this, you figure it out and then we'll do something else after, because I don't know that the solution is going to be worked out on the training ground, frankly. Yeah. I mean, I think maybe to also compare Gotham to, Oh, I don't know, maybe Chicago or even Orlando or Louisville is you have teams that are not always able to influence the game they want to, but they Mm -hmm. are playing a ton of young players. And so mm-hmm. at the very least, if it's not like a today, we're getting all three points. It's a, we are building on this down the road. We are building the club style of play and letting young players get their feet wet. And maybe it's a sink or swim situation, but that's fine. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that feels like for Gotham, maybe the concern is they, they went kind of win now with this. Mm-hmm. And, and the fact that it's not working right away is a concern because you're not, because what can happen is if this turns into a, let's say like a 0.500 season and they make it to the playoffs, maybe in the quarterfinals or maybe, you know, heaven forbid they get seventh or something like that. And mm-hmm. then 
they have to start doing a soft rebuild without actually ever winning the thing that they wanted to win with the roster that they had. Mm-hmm. And so I think that it's way too early to, to, you know, put that stamp on it, but um, it, it, it's, it's, it's a, it's a little bit of a concern at this moment, I guess is what I would say. Sure. Uh, when you look at, you know, I'm pulling up their roster from this last game and most of the players that started are, veterans they've been around the league for a while in some Mm -hmm. cases they are very much veterans um they've been around for the whole run of the league right i look at their bench i see cameron tucker coming in at halftime Mm -hmm. taron torres got challenge cup starts but hasn't been playing as much of late Mm -hmm. um and that's it that's the that's the young core uh um you know that's there's not there's not a lot of uh development happening because you've got a lot of players who are already done developing right um that stage of their career is gone um so yeah i i don't know um i i feel like i've harped on gotham a little bit this year and i don't want to come across that way no, i know I, it does i that is a good point too i think everybody in the media feels kind of bad to be completely right. honest because because you you feel like you're picking them out but they at this moment are maybe the greatest anomaly and so you're mm-hmm. like i don't know what else to do this is the and it's a puzzle yeah. too. Yeah. It's it's kind right. of tempting to come back to because it's like, well, I know there's a lot of good players here. Right. Um, maybe, maybe I can solve this puzzle. Like you, right. you said earlier, like <laughs> fix, fix it, it, Jason, but yeah. it's like, I do kind of want to continue being like, maybe, maybe if they did this, but right. I, I have been doing that in my head and I just, it's just not happening yet. And I imagine that's how it is with the coaching staff is, um, they see, they got a lot of good ingredients, but it's like, you have three ingredients that would be good to make uh, a, you know, a nice, uh, you know, Asian fusion meal and the rest of your ingredients would be good for dessert. Um, And you can't turn them into a meal. Um, And that's kind of how I feel looking at it is it's like being a top chef contestant and the challenge is very difficult um, and very strange. And there's some sort of weird, um, you know, you have to use a meat grinder or else the dish will be thrown out. It's like, well, I don't have anything that goes in a meat grinder. What am I supposed to do here? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I would use a meat grinder analogy here, but no. I, I'm just thinking of something that I <laughs> no, don't I know, have in my I know, kitchen. I know. Uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm joking with you. Yeah, no, I think um, maybe I'll just say this, that like, as always, I look forward to the week we get to talk about Gotham really putting it all together, you know? Um, mm. So yeah, it's a wild week, really interesting week in, in a lot of different facets. We went very large with this one, but um, hopefully there's some stuff in here that people found valuable. Thank you so much, Jason. For joining me uh shout out to jacqueline purdy our producer extraordinaire who are a podcast our distributor i've been your host claire watkins we'll see you next week <laughs>